I was driving my truck, and I love my truck. I always wanted a Toyota Tacoma ever since I saw as a kid Back to the Future. And uh, I was like, one day I'll have a truck like that. And it took all these years to get to that point. Now I'm 44 years old, and I finally, I was 43 when I got my truck. So maybe I was 42. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I sound like one of those old people. Like, I think it was like, uh, and then they spend 15 minutes trying to figure it out. I bought the truck with the intentions to do everything I saw when I, when I saw that movie when I was a kid in the 80s. And then I realized, well, maybe I'm just satisfied with the way it is. I don't need to add all those things like the roll bar. But one thing I realized very quickly, that it doesn't matter if it's a Toyota and they run till they get 350,000 miles, they need maintenance just like any other vehicle. So the other day, well, it's been about a week ago, I was driving and I noticed it said on the dashboard, maintenance required. How many have noticed that in your vehicle when you're driving? How many have ignored that and just continued driving? Well, that was a week, two weeks ago, and it still says maintenance required, so I'm just hoping, like, maybe the gas cap is just not sealed properly and something simple like that. But the problem is, is this. If it says maintenance required, there's something going on, that means you need to fix it, and if you don't, something's going to break. Um, and so when it comes to the church, I feel like Paul was constantly dealing with the same issues. Uh, Paul often was dealing with the maintenance of the church, and that's why he would write a letter to the church. And so I want to do a mini-series and uh, for just a, a couple of weeks, specifically this Sunday and next Sunday, and then we're going to shift gears and focus on Christmas a little more. Um, and I want to talk about the maintenance of the church. Maintenance required repairing the broken church. And I want to specifically look at the letters of Paul and how he addressed the church and how it affects us today, okay? So uh, when I was a kid, um, I had this problem. I, I had a lot of problems, but this was a specific problem. And that problem was I like to fix things that didn't need fixing, as they say down south. Like I see something and I'm like, I need to adjust this or rearrange this or redo this. I still do that. I'm 44 years old, and I still do that because I guess maybe it's because I'm a perfectionist. So when we would do staging at Fellowship Baptist, our sending church, I would always go back and go, maybe we can rearrange that. Maybe I can adjust this just a little bit. And I was fixing things that didn't need fixing. And my problem was sometimes I would fix it, so I thought, and end up making it worse, or I'd break it. good example of that when I was a kid I had a tie. I was a good, independent Baptist boy. As a 10-year-old, wearing my suit and tie, getting ready for church, and my mom just bought me this tie. I was probably 10 years old. I was looking in the mirror, and I noticed there was these little, uh, little strands. Like a, they look like little hairs on your tie, you know? It's just the way it's made. I don't know what it was made out of, but uh, and a couple of little um, threads sticking out, and it bothered me. So I asked my mom, who is a seamstress, I said, Mom, can you let me use your scissors? She said, why do you need them? I said, I just want to trim up my tie a little bit. She said, that's a horrible idea. Your tie is just fine. You don't need to fix it. Just leave it alone. And I insisted that I, need to do, I needed to fix this. It needed some fixing. So I took the tie. She let me trim up the tie. And before I knew it, I put a big hole in my tie because I clipped it. So I took the tie off, and my mom was like, I told you, if you would have just left the tie alone, it was fine, but you messed it up because you thought you knew what was best. And I feel like the church even today still does that. 
God's laid everything out for us, but we're trying to fix what he's already established. And so that brings me to this, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's something I learned as a kid. This was a phrase that I have learned over a period of time that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that is in Galatians the overarching theme that Paul was emphasizing to the church of Galatia. If it's not broke, leave it alone. And so when we look at the book of Galatians, there's some things that are very important to understand. Paul's letter was written to the early Christian community, the churches of Galatia, specifically the Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people. Now, there was Jews there, but the non-Jewish people were his focus the Gentiles. He felt compelled to reach the Gentile people. Peter felt compelled to reach the Jewish people. And so when you look at the book of Galatians, I want you to understand what it's about. Galatians is a letter to the church. The whole book is. There's six chapters. You could actually break it down in three ways. Chapter one and two is personal it's very personal. Chapter 3 and 4 is doctrinal. Chapter 5 and 6 is practical. Y'all follow me? So that's the way the letter was broken up when he put this letter together. It was very personal in the beginning. You'll see that in just a moment. Then he gets very doctrinal. He's very intentional about his teachings to the church. And then at the end, he gets very practical. Like if you apply these things, then there's some practical things as a Christian you can do and accomplish. And so it it was nothing new for Paul to write the church. He did it quite often. And when he did it, he did it intentionally to encourage them, sometimes to praise them. Way to go. You guys are doing great. Sometimes it would be to update them, rebuke them, And often it was to remind them, we need reminding. So it was very important for the the church to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul. But this letter is different. And the reason it was different, it was unique in the way he wrote it to Galatians. To the churches of Galatia, he focused in a very specific way. Now watch this. It's going to feel like a little bit of a Bible study more than a preaching Uh, or or feel of a a, a preaching service, if you would. It's going to feel more like a Bible study, and that's okay. We need that once in a while. So let's break this down. You all with me? Following along? If you're not taking notes, at least be alert, because we're going to start in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And the reason this is so unique is because he starts off with a declaration of authority. Watch this. Paul, an apostle, makes it very clear. And then he says, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul has some strong words that he was going to give the churches of Galatia, and he wanted them to understand that I have authority in what I'm about to say. I am an apostle, and I wasn't appointed by man. I was appointed by God, so listen up. So he's going to be very, very direct. And then if you go to the next verse, he continues with a recognition of accountability. So he says in verse 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So he does this like shout out, this greeting from his fellow co-workers. And I believe he did it intentionally basically to say, Hey, the ones that are with me, my co-workers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, 
they know exactly what I'm about to tell you. They're on the same page, and so I want you to be aware of that. They're, they're proud of you in multiple ways, but they're aware there's something that needs to change. And then he, if you notice, it says the churches of Galatia. This is unique because it's not just one church, it's multiple churches. For example, in 1 Thessalonians, he addresses the church of Thessalonians. He's, he's specific in chapter 1 and verse 1. But here in the book of Galatians, uh, he's addressing multiple churches of Galatia because Galatia is a region, not just a city, and there were several churches within that region. So he's reaching out to every one of them because every one of them are messed up. They're broken. There's something drastically wrong, and you'll see what it is in just a minute. So he just makes it very clear. I'm, I'm talking to every one of you guys, okay? And then he transitions with a, a salutation of liberty, Okay, Galatians chapter 1, 3 through 5 is very poetic and kind in his words. He says, grace and peace uh, from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he transitions in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Now, why is he saying this? They already know all this. He's, he's wanting to remind them of something very important before he just blasts them, right? Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present uh, evil world according to the will of God in our Father. In verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we're about to transition in a very unique direction, okay? So the idea behind this wording is simply in this. It's this, the present is not emphasizing that this world is the issue that he's delivering us from. We're in the world, but not of the world. This is just the way it is. But he's delivering us from the power and the influence, the prince and the power there. He's empowered us to be able to overcome those influences. Everybody with me? All right. Then he proceeds with uh, adamant abomination of, of saying to them the reality of what's going on. I want to make sure you know exactly what's going on in your church. And he's about to make it really clear. Now we're going to see Paul do something we don't usually see. He's going to get aggressive because he's ticked off and he's angry. He's frustrated. All right. So Galatians chapter one and verse six, he goes, I marvel. In other words, I'm blown away. I am just blown away with you guys. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from that call, uh, from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, let me just stop there. He is literally saying to the church, I am just amazed that you guys so soon, so quickly can drift off into another gospel. If you go to the next verse, verse 7, he actually says, it's not another gospel. It's not a gospel at all. You guys, it's, it's, a, it's a lie. I'm paraphrasing. He says, what you're doing is contrary to any type of gospel. And then he gets a little more aggressive and he says, for a matter of fact, if anybody besides myself, even if it's an angel comes to you and preaches anything outside of what I've already told you, because they already had two missionary journeys to this specific church or the churches and preached the clarity of the gospel. That the death, by the way, what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he lived, he died, and rose again. It's sufficient. And now we have grace. God bestowed his grace. All we have to do is believe by faith and accept him. We don't have to do anything else. And he says, how did you get away from that? He said, it's not even a gospel that you're preaching or believing. It's a false doctrine. And you believe these Judaizers and their ideas and their, 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 uh, their 
preaching and teaching and you accept this false doctrine. So he's really frustrated. And the reason why is because the false doctrine was a real problem uh, in, in these churches. And they're, they're, then they begin to teach it, not just accept it, but they begin to teach it as well. And the reason why is because they believe there was more to grace than what was presented by Paul himself. They wanted to fix what didn't need to be fixed. Right, is everybody with me? So here we are. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Leave it alone. And Paul is so aggressive about this. When you get to verse 7, 8, and 9, he basically says this. If it is anybody outside of myself or other believers that are giving the pure doctrine of faith, then let them be accursed. In other words, let them be condemned to hell. If it's an angel that comes down from heaven, then let it be considered a fallen angel. And may he be condemned to hell. That's how aggressive he is about the false doctrine that creeped in the church. Think about it. When you think of a cult, what is the number one thing that you realize when you study that cult? You realize that it wasn't Jesus that appeared unto these individuals. It was an angel that bestowed upon them the knowledge of a new gospel. Notice new gospel, new truth. And Paul knew this was going to happen even in our time. That's why you have Mormons and Jehovah Witness and they have this revelation that's all new and a new gospel. And so Paul says, hey, let it be accursed. And now he gets to the problem. And that's where we're at. They were trying to fix what was already fine and worked out and perfectly aligned by God. And so this is where we're at. They were trying to fix it by adding to it. I'm going to give you two simple points. Y'all with me? They were trying to fix it by adding to it. They added their traditions. We still do that today, right? Often this could be referred to as legalism. <laughs> this is the way we've always done it. And you have to do it this way. And if you don't, you are wrong. Even if it's not in conjunction with the word of God. This is the way it is. This is the way we do it. And so the churches of Galatia were holding to the traditions of Judaism. And so watch this. The Judaizers preached a narrative to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. The Gentiles were people that weren't Jews, that accepted Jesus Christ and believed on him. And they said, you should follow the Jewish traditions in order to receive salvation. They were combining the fact that you have to have faith, but you have to have these traditions and follow Judaism. And in Galatians chapter 1, 7 through 9, Paul reflects on the fact that he himself at one point was also doing the same exact thing. There was a point in his life where he was following the traditions of men. Why is it that we drift so quickly? Um... Previously in Paul's journey, his missionary journey, he, he made it very clear and he invested so much time in this church so they could understand that grace was sufficient and enough. It stood alone. There was no need to add to it, to do anything in addition to it. But they started to drift. And, they, and, there's, and in this drifting process, they allowed this teaching not only to be practiced, but to be endorsed. Now watch this. Why 
does this happen? Why do traditions and these ideas within the church override, override the very basic principles of God's word, the truth of God's word? Well, I think the answer is in what Paul says. He says these things in verse 7, they're troubling you. That means confusing you. You are confused. And the reason you're confused is because this perverted gospel that you embraced. What does the word pervert in this passage of scripture mean? It means to revert back. Literally, Paul is saying this. He's very intentional about this. He's saying you're reverting back to a traditional way of doing things before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is a problem. It's wrong. You can't rely on those things for redemption. Now, here's something very important to understand as well. It is easy for us to do that today, to revert back to what we know, to what we like. Uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian, uh, historian at the time of Jesus Christ. And in his writings... He wrote that he noticed that they were still making sacrifices even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that interesting? Because if you know biblical history, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was rent in the temple. What is the veil? The veil separated common man from God. The Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God on earth. And the only one that could go through that veil, this large elaborate uh, uh, covering, if you would, between the common man and God himself was the high priest. And so when Jesus Christ said it is finished, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. In other words, God himself tore that in pieces to show that there is no longer a high priest needed to intervene. So, how are they continuing to perform these sacrifices? The veil is rent. We can now have access to God without a priest. We go through Jesus Christ. The only way that could be possible is it if they sewed it back up. Could that be? Could they have been so amped up on the idea that they have to continue their traditions that they sew back up the veil that was rent? And so they can continue to perform their ritualistic uh, sacrifices? So that's ridiculous. I can't imagine that. It's all they known. This is all they known to do because this is what they've done for years and years and years. Then the church. We think we have to fix the modern church because they're veering from the truth in the old past. So we say, if you do not sing just hymns, there's a problem. If you're not wearing a suit and tie, there's a problem. I I remember as a kid, my mom made a decision when I was a little boy. It was the 80s. She said, you guys aren't going to wear shorts anymore because in the 80s, they wear little shorts. Men, little bitty shorts. It was just awkward and weird. And if you watched a basketball game, even in the 70s, they were wearing shorty shorts. It was immodest. So the church rejected that. The conservatives said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You don't need to be wearing shorts because they're immodest. Can you imagine that? Men were immodest. But it was a problem. So years go on, and they're still rejecting shorts in the church in some of the most conservative churches because they haven't realized that culturally men are not wearing immodest shorts anymore. 
But they can't let go of their traditional idea that this is wrong. And then it becomes, in a strange way, almost a biblical principle of the church. We have to have hymns. There's nothing else acceptable. This is the way it's always been. A woman must wear a dress in the church. You must wear your best. That's nowhere in scripture. Wear your best. It's appropriate. I think it's nice not to look like a slob when you come to meet with the Lord in worship. That's important. I appreciate that. But when did we create this as a doctrine? When did we twist the scriptures? It's called tradition. It's the way we've always done it. I don't know anything else. I just accept it as if it was biblical truth. Cleanliness is next to godliness, but it's not in the Bible, even though I think you should be clean. But there's this reality that we've lost, and that is there's biblical principles and preferences, traditions. And so Paul starts to really hone in on this. They were trying to fix it by adding traditions. They were adding to it. And then he goes on a little further. They added their religion. In Galatians chapter 1, 14 through 16, Paul explains that, again, there was a time in his own personal life that he enforced the Jewish traditions in the religion over grace because he just didn't understand because he was a Pharisee. This is all he knew. And so he goes into this and just to paraphrase, he basically breaks it down and he says, you probably heard at one point that uh, in my previous life, that I practiced this Judaism. I, I was very involved and I harassed God's church and I tried to destroy it. And, and I, I held to uh, the traditions of my ancestors. I wasn't going to veer from that. This is all I knew. And he kind of reminisces to the church about this because he wants them to understand this is a problem. And then he says, it wasn't until, it wasn't until I had an encounter with Jesus not an angel. And he doesn't go in detail about his journey on the road to Damascus and his encounter with Jesus, but he just kind of highlights it and makes it very clear that he was a set apart from his birth and he was called through uh, grace, if you would. And, and, and he knew that he was called to preach to the Gentile people. He understood how easy, now watch this, he understood how easy it is to get wrapped up in religion, to be consumed with religion. You know what's interesting about religion and tradition? They kind of go hand in hand. You know what I'm saying? Religions are consumed with traditions. And often the traditions are nowhere in the Bible. They've just developed them over time. I remember when COVID happened and we stopped passing the plate for offering. People are like, are you kidding me? You're not going to pass the offering plate? We've got to pass the offering plate. Well, No. We just need the offering. So drop it in the box in the back when you leave. But it's a tradition. But it's not a necessity. We went to pods instead of little cups for communion. You can't have pods. Little seal on top where you peel it back and drink of the juice and take the wafer off the top. No, that's unacceptable. We have to have this elaborate performance where we have these beautiful dishes. And we pass them. And then you do the sit down and stand up and all this. We have to. It's what we do. We're Baptist. We're very religious. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in that. It's like Judaism. So we can't just accept salvation by grace. No, we've done these rituals. And this is our religion. This is who we are. And they begin to infiltrate their, or and influence the church 
with tradition and religion and was pulling them back away from grace and the reality. Catholics are a good example of this. My parents grew up Catholic church. When I was a little baby, I was christened. And I, I became a Christian later on. But it's interesting when you compare. Very interesting. Catholics are a good example of Paul's explanation of religion and the practicing traditions. And it's comparable to the Old Testament. For instance, um, priests. We no longer have priests. That's the Old Testament. Uh, priestly garments. That's the Old Testament. The, the, the idea of the methods of prayer and works and being committed to the Catholic Church or you're not a believer. You're not a true Christian because you must be committed to the church. And so the Judaism, they said you must be committed to the laws of Moses. It's not just faith, but the laws of Moses. Often Catholics would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He lived, he died, and rose again. But you must be a member of the church. And so these ideas, they're developed. And so at one period of time, the, the, the Catholic Church denied the idea that salvation is by faith and faith alone. It was during the Council of Trent in the 16th century. And Catholics have always expressed this certain way of performing these sacraments or necessity. And, and they're a part of this salvation in attempting to merit God's grace through performance and rituals. But we see this across the board within multiple churches. We get caught up with these ritualistic ideas and say this is biblical when it's not biblical. I've been slaughtered for not wearing a tie in the church as a pastor. I mean, just ripped to shreds over such things. At Fellowship Baptist Church, our sending church, when we decided to remove the pews and replace them with chairs, it was a meltdown. We had two or three families quit the church. Guess what? They never went back to church. So apparently that was very important to them. The pews were more important than church attendance. You all see the problem? What are we doing? Let's get, we, that's what Paul is so exhausted with this. And it's interesting. If you really study through Galatians, he even referenced Peter and some of these great men of God and says, man, they're still wrapped up in this. They just don't know how to let go. Because we all get to that point in our walk with Christ where we revert back to what we know as a child and think this is the only way it's to be done. Traditions and religion. Religion is one of the most influential reasons people go to hell. Because they get so caught up with religion instead of reality of Jesus Christ. People get caught up in the methodology of religion and forget the purity of the gospel. Is everybody with me? And so they were trying to fix it by adding to it. They added their traditions. They added their religion. And then if we keep on going, we'll, we'll flip over to chapter 2. You'll see something else that takes place. They were trying to fix it by maintaining it. They were maintaining their salvation. Boy, this has creeped in to the churches of today, specifically even the Baptist churches, by their works, good works. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Notice again, is not justified by the works of the law. Judaism believed that you must follow the law. The law is a necessity. You can't just have faith in Jesus Christ. You saw him with your own eyes. Some of them did. That he lived, he died. They knew of his resurrection 
But Judaism believes that you have to also continue fulfilling the law, the Mosaic law. So you're not justified, Paul said, by the law. You are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Just in case you don't know what justified means, simply put, it's just as if I've never sinned. I've been justified by Jesus Christ. I'm no longer condemned to hell. Is everybody with me? So our justification isn't in our good works or our performance. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And, And here it is, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul's saying, listen, you need to understand. Church, get this. You are only justified. You're only saved by your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But they were so amped up on maintaining their salvation, they were trying to do it through their good works. Listen, we can't even maintain our weight. Are y'all with me? I just want to shake those denominations like you've got to maintain your salvation so you could go to heaven one day. Continue thou in the sanctification. And I'm like, you're overweight. You're unhealthy. We can't even, hey, we can't even maintain our car. Maintenance still required on my truck. But we can maintain eternal life. Are you kidding me? I want to shake the hand of the individual that created the good works list. I want to see it. What are these good works that we must perform in order to obtain salvation? Believe it or not, I Google searched maintaining salvation. Denomination after denomination has a list of how to maintain your salvation. The question is, who created the list? Now, I know where the law of Moses came from originally. God. But then the Pharisees showed up and some religious leaders and they added and added and added and added and added to it. Just like we do in every denomination. We can't take just biblical principles. We have to add to those. That's why you have denominations say you have to wear your hair in a bun. You cannot wear makeup if you're a woman. You cannot wear britches, ladies. We have all these rules and restrictions and ideas Somebody made them. Y'all following me? And Paul is saying, listen, even the laws of Moses that were given by God, I'm trying to tell you, church, you cannot continue to maintain them. If you broke one, you broke them all. And if you broke the law, according to Scripture, you're cursed. And that's why the Bible says any man that hangs on a cross is a curse because he became the curse for us to take away the obligation of the law. Are y'all following me? So here they are. They're, they're trying to maintain. They're trying to fix it by maintaining it through good works. They're combining faith with works. In today's church culture, we've referred to this as lordship salvation. How many have ever heard of lordship salvation? It basically is saying you are to continue doing good works to maintain your salvation, but you also include faith in Jesus Christ. That is what the Judaizers did. They were saying, listen, church, have faith in Jesus Christ, but also fulfill the law. Continue therein. That's a problem. Again, that goes back to this idea that we need a list, a checkoff list to follow of good works. 
This is the, very much the same doctrinal idea as the Judaizers that they were pushing and, and, and teaching in the church. But it's scary because we still today are dealing with that. The idea that we can't just accept the finished work of Jesus Christ. Grace, it's self-maintaining. You don't have to maintain it. It doesn't need to be fixed. It maintains itself. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. He said, I come to fulfill the law so you don't have to maintain the law. Are y'all following me? And it's so hard to accept that because we're thinking, how is that possible? I need to do something. Paul addresses this in the book of Romans when he spoke to another church through a letter. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law but under grace. In chapter 11 and verse 6, he goes in a little bit more detailing and he's separating grace from works and he, he's clarifying there's a distinct difference between the two. You can't combine them. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, he makes it so clear when it comes to the subject of good works. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. Faith, there it is. And not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of, what's the word? Works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. The Pharisees boasted in their ability to maintain the law. They had a presentation about them, and they made it very clear. They were strong religious leaders, and everybody should notice it. And the reality is, is Paul saying, if you could maintain your salvation, if you had the ability to perform good works, then you would boast. You would say, I do A, B, C, and D. You would be in the most amazing counselor because you'd pull out your little paper and say, if you want to get back on track, here's what you need to do. Check off list. But it doesn't work that way because we have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, which is through the Holy Spirit. He's convicting us and guiding us and working through us. And so that beautiful relationship with us keeps us on track. Here's the thing. People go, good grief, you can't preach this. They even told Paul, stop preaching this. Stop it. People are going to do naughty things. They, they need the bumper guards of, of the law to stay on track. And Paul says, listen, listen. You know what the bumper guards are? It's the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit leads them, guides them. It's real. It's organic. It's, 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 it's a real thing. He's the comforter and dwells within us. Now watch this. Some people say, well, I, I, I've got to do A, B, C, and D in order to be sufficiently right with God. I know that seems to give you comfort, but here's the reality. I do not get up in the morning and say, I need to live. I need to live. Breathe, Dave. Breathe, Dave. And all day I'm going, breathe, Dave. You've got to live. Breathe, Dave. Same with Christianity. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you don't get up in the morning and go, I've got to do good. I've got to do good in order to maintain my salvation. Good, good, good. No, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in me, it is a natural process. I get up in the morning and I have the joy of the Lord and it may not be a great day and I have hard days. I know all that. But it's organic and real because the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding me. And when I want to make the wrong decision, there's this sweet spirit that just tells me, don't, Dave. Don't, Dave. Stay on track, Dave. I don't have to seek it out. It seeks me out because he's my heavenly father and he corrects me and he convicts me and he guides me. And that's a beautiful thing. So I don't have to get up in the morning and program my mind to go, all right, Dave, maintain your salvation. 
Dave, you have to do it this way. Are y'all following me? It's natural. And if it isn't natural, then you're probably, maybe, need to double check and see if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ. Because believers in Jesus Christ crave to serve Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we don't drift. It doesn't mean we don't fail. But just like the prodigal son, there's this beautiful relationship that pulls us back in. Now, they were fixing it by maintaining it by their good works and by their accomplishments. I like this. Because Paul is very specific about the law versus faith. The word law appears 32 times in the book of Galatians. And the word faith appears 21 times. Paul is giving a strong emphasis on trusting Jesus by faith and not maintaining the law of Moses. Let me make sure you get this. The law was simply meant to be a placeholder for grace. It wasn't meant to to be a continuation of salvation. Let me say that again. The law was simply meant to be a placeholder for grace, not to be a continuation of salvation. We knew that Jesus Christ would step in for all mankind, and there would no longer be a need for the law. But he would fulfill the law, and through him we could be saved. I like this. Paul taught that the quickest route to spiritual maturity is the doctrine of salvation through grace in faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That believe is is trusting by faith. Salvation by grace through faith. And then he said that anything outside of that is nothing more than frustrating the grace of God. Now that's an interesting way of saying it. Watch this. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For it is righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I love the way he said that. I feel as if we are frustrating the grace of God because we are so consumed with the idea that we must do something. Really specific about that in just a second. Pastor Skip, I'd give you his last name, but I can't even pronounce it. So I do like his, I like his teachings. I, I love when he dives into scripture because he's so clear. He says there's two ways that people approach God. He even says there's basically two religions in the world. And he said they're this. Human achievement is one. He said I'm, human, human achievement is basically this. I'm going to do something. I have to do something. I have to work harder. I'm, I'm going to subscribe to this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get baptized. There is something tangible I have to do. And so he says that's human achievement. And then you have a divine accomplishment. And that is God is going to do it. And I'm just going to simply believe him and have faith and have faith alone. Those are the only two. And the reality is, within the church, we still struggle with these two. Human achievement. I feel like i got to do something. I'm not doing enough. And we beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up and exhaust ourselves spiritually. And we're never, ever good enough. And when you get a part of a hardcore conservative movement that is contrary to Scripture, but it's all based on tradition and religion... You feel more exhausted because you're trying to add up to their expectations instead of achieving what God has already put in place. Y'all follow me? It's exhausting. 
So every time you make a mistake, you're like, oh, I'm a loser. I'm horrible. There is no grace. I have to fix this. I have to fix this. I have to achieve and accomplish something. Human achievement. The interesting thing about humans is we always feel like it's necessary for us to do something tangible when it comes to God. We can't just pray and have faith. I need to do more. That's why when I ask somebody, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ or are you a Christian? They immediately say, I've been baptized. You know why? That's tangible. It's a physical action. They're like, yes, I've done something. Me, my, physically, I've done something. And I'm like, no, no, no. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ by faith and believed in your heart? Because that's salvation, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have done that. Don't mix the two. Baptism isn't a part of salvation. It always precedes salvation. Believe and be baptized. Belief comes first and then be baptized. If baptism was a part of salvation, then we get a problem because now we've included a man to fulfill God's great design. Because you can't be baptized without somebody baptizing you. So it's like you just gave your life to Jesus Christ. Well, it's not done just yet. Come back on Sunday. We're going to warm up the baptismal and then we're going to get in and then this guy is going to dunk you under and then you're good to go. What have we just done? There is a problem. Do you realize that baptism is a physical action to show the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It is an outward performance to show an inward change. Does that make sense? How can we rely on a man to fulfill the complete work of Jesus Christ? It's impossible. Again, that is part of works. It's an accomplishment. Here we are. Let me close with this, okay? We, we like lists. We like processes. We have a way of doing things. And the reason is it's our pride. We feel like we have to be a part of the process. We have to do something, right? I just don't feel like this is enough, just like when I was a little boy. If you like to bake, maybe you have this problem too. you got a recipe, and it says only this much sugar, and you're like, I just don't feel like that's enough sugar. I think we should do two cups versus one cup. You add a little more. Add a little of this, add a little of that. Before you know it, you're done baking. They eat it, and they're like, something doesn't taste right. You know why? Because you didn't follow the recipe. Your pride said, I feel like there should be something else added to this. And what we're dealing with in the church is adding to what's already been done. Let me bring you to the cross. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received... The wine, the vinegar, what did the Bible say? He bowed his head on a lifeless chest and gave up the ghost. It is finished. What does it is finished mean? What could that possibly mean? It means it's paid in full. And anything you can do in addition to that is unnecessary. Now watch this. If I pay off a credit card, Do you think I want to pay any more on that credit card? No. No. It's useless and pointless. But I feel within the church we're constantly trying to continue to pay for our salvation. It's paid in full. And so this beautiful picture that Paul paints for the church is this. I need you to understand. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Leave it alone. 
because God is sufficient. He knows what he's doing. And so he calms down and we enter into chapter 5 and chapter 6 and we see this application unfold where he kind of paints this beautiful picture of what it is to be in Christ and how we can enjoy and help one another and bear one another's burdens. As he calms down, he concludes the letter to the church and he does it by challenging the church to revert back to the true gospel and focus on that. Don't drift again. Stay focused on what matters most. And he even says in chapter 3, he said, I know how easy it is to drift and be tempted to be influenced by those that are preaching this idea. He said, but just don't do it. He said, me and Titus experienced this. Titus is not circumcised. And Titus was struggling, thinking maybe that's something I need to do. And Paul's like, what? Are you crazy? If we do anything that they're recommending, we're just giving in to their doctrine. Besides, you're like 40-something. Why would you want to get circumcised now? This is another good reason not to. And he steps back and they realize we are not going to follow the lead of man. We're going to follow God's leading. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. I love the word liberty. Wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He said, guys... Stay on track. Don't go. Don't get yourself in a place of bondage. The traditions, ideas, focus on what Jesus Christ has done for you. It is paid in full. It is enough. So the question is, are you trying to fix what God has already done? But I'm going to tell you something. It's very easy to beat yourself up when you've messed up. It's very easy to create your own list of what you need to do to get back on track and have the blessings of God in your life. You do not maintain your salvation. You maintain your relationship. There's a distinct difference. Do you understand? I have a beautiful relationship with my Heavenly Father. There's things that I'm going to do and decisions I'm going to make that I need to make sure that, like any other relationship, I need to get those things right. I need to have that time of prayer and intimacy and just pour my heart out just like I would do with my children, just like I would do with my wife or, or my mother, my father. I have an obligation to maintain a beautiful relationship, but that is not maintaining my salvation. Do you understand? So important. I want you to bow with me for a word of prayer as we close. If you keep on going that direction and trying to fix what's already been fixed, you are going to be spiritually exhausted. I'm going to have our, I'm going to have our worship team come and we're going to sing together as we close. And I want you to do this. I want you to understand it's time to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's time to get to the point in your life where you understand that I no longer have to maintain what God has already accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. Be very careful not to be swayed by false doctrine or a false teacher because you're going to listen to podcasts and you're going to read books and you're going to be sucked in so easily and you're going to exhaust yourself, spiritually speaking, if you're not examining God's Word. The churches of Galatia were so easily swayed in a short period of time and so often the church does the same thing we find ourselves being pulled away from the simplicity of the gospel and we add to it. Don't be that cook where you think you can add to the recipe 
It's done. Would you stand with me with your head bowed for just a moment? With your head bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, I want to challenge you this. Examine yourself. You're not a true believer in Jesus Christ and you're not a Christian if your whole life has been wrapped up in a religion, in a tradition. Because it's not intimate. It's not real. Intimacy with Christ comes from the heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What does it mean to believe? It means to have faith in your heart. So if you've been working and acting and going through a process and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ with your heart, then you're not a true believer. And I'm challenging you right now where you're standing in your place to examine yourself. Has there ever been a time that you personally asked Jesus Christ into your life? I mean it this way. Let me make it very clear. With your heart, you accepted Jesus Christ and asked Jesus Christ in your life. You believe that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he rose again. And by faith, you accepted him to be the son of God and you believe nothing outside of that. No other gospel. You don't believe you have to add to it with any kind of works. It's just simply believing on Jesus Christ. If you've done that and you are a Christian and you know for sure you're a Christian, would you intentionally raise your hand as high as you can, please? Thank you. Maybe you're struggling with that, and I don't know, and you're not a Christian. This is an opportunity, and it's simple. In your own words from your heart, you simply just say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life. I believe, I believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he lived, he died, and rose again. You say, do I need to say it that way? No, you need to say it in your own words from your heart, because it's not a magical prayer that saves you. It's faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God that saves you. And by faith, you just say, I give you my life from this day forth. I no longer want to go through the emotions. Your church membership doesn't matter. Your baptism doesn't matter. Your, your processes and your way of thinking that you think is necessary doesn't matter. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ.